0: Good morning, thank you, what a joy to be here, and uh, what a privilege. Just a couple of uh, sort of catch-up things before I share from the Word, before we pray together. Uh, We're excited uh, that Advent is coming. Next Sunday is the new year for the Christian church, in a way, the starting of Advent, the start of the church year. And next Sunday, Pastor Terry Faw is going to be preaching, and we're excited about that. Terry's a good friend and uh, part of the faculty and leadership at Ambrose uh, University, and we're excited about that. And then two weeks from today, guess who's coming to town? (laughs) No, it's not Santa. (laughs) Pastor Stu is back. Indeed. That's exciting. I'm not sure if he's coming with reindeer or uh, how he's going to show up. We have missed him. He's been gone for four months on sabbatical, uh, writing his dissertation for his d degree, and uh, he is going to be back with us. And we're looking forward to having our lead pastor back. Appreciate our pastoral team, uh, Ryan and Brittany, and uh, those who work in the office. So that's exciting. That's encouraging. Let's pray together, shall we? I always think it's important to share what are called the prayers of the people or a pastoral prayer when I get the chance to lead worship. So let's quiet our hearts. And as we gather our thoughts this morning to pray, hear this prayer of Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, the founding fathers of Methodism and uh, part of our heritage in the Church of the Nazarene. Susanna, a very godly woman, prayed these words. She said, Enable me, O God, to collect and compose my thoughts before an immediate approach to you in prayer. May I be careful to have my mind in order when I take upon myself the honor to speak to the sovereign Lord of the universe, remembering that upon the condition of my soul depends in very great measure my success. You are infinitely too great to be trifled with, too wise to be imposed on by a mock devotion, and you abhor a sacrifice without a heart. Help me to entertain a continual sense of your perfections as a help against cold and formal performance. Save me from engaging in rash and unthoughtful prayers and from too quick a return to business or pleasure as though I had never prayed at all. Jane Austen, very famous author, prayed, grant us grace, almighty Father, so to pray as to deserve to be heard, and so shall we pray. Now, O God, in spirit, mind, and name, the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you as children to a compassionate understanding and a loving parent. Lord, hear our prayers. Here first of all this morning, our words of love and adoration and worship for you alone are worthy and deserving, worthy of praise from every mouth, of confession from every tongue, of worship from every creature. It is your glorious name, O Father, Son, and Spirit. You created the world in your grace and out of love and compassion did save the world. To your majesty, O God, 10,000 times 10,000, bow down and adore singing and praising without ceasing and saying holy 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 lord god of hosts heaven and earth are full of your praise hosanna in the highest lord god receive our silent prayers of praise and worship this morning lord hear our prayers Lord God, with our worship and our praise this morning, we also offer our prayers of petition, our requests, our needs, our concerns. We pray for our world, our nation, our province, our city, our neighbors. We pray for those in authority over us, elected and appointed. We pray for those who serve you at home and abroad, for pastors, boards, missionaries, teachers, others who serve you in so many places in so many ways. This morning we pray for those who are sick and suffering from our own congregation, some in hospital, some at home, for those who are bereaved and lonely and sorrowful, for those who are puzzled and confused. Who are unemployed, who perhaps are wondering where their next meal will come from, for those who are addicted and dependent, for those we know and name, and for those we do not know. We pray for those gathered in this church building, in church buildings across our city and our land and around the world. For all who gather in the name of Jesus this morning, we pray for their homes and for their families, for their concerns and their needs. We pray for our own congregation, for Skyview, for Terry as he comes next week to preach, for Stu as he comes back, for Pastor Ryan and Brittany, for those who are ill, those who are suffering, those who are concerned, those who are scared. We pray for ourselves this morning, for our neighbor on our right and on our left in front of us and behind us, but for ourselves, for your ongoing presence and power to be made clear as we work and study and play and serve our families, our friends, our communities. And finally, Father, in the silence we bring to you our own very personal, intimate and private needs and concerns. Asking, Lord God, that you will indeed hear our prayers and in your love and wisdom answer. Oh God, our Father, we are preparing soon to celebrate the birthday of your Son, Jesus Christ. And while we'd recall his coming as a tiny baby in weakness and humility, on this Sunday may we be reminded that one day he will come in power and glory. We make these prayers to you in the name of the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Amen. I didn't introduce myself. My name is Pastor Doug. I am one of the retired ministers here at Skyview who make this congregation our home, and the pastoral team are kind enough to allow people like myself to preach now and then. And that is a great privilege. So it's very, very good to be here. As we come to hear the Word of God, let's pray together this prayer that you'll see on the screen in front of you. aloud, with passion, with volume, with heart, join me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The Gospel of St. Luke, the 23rd chapter, the 33rd verse. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. There with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Messiah, of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he replied, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. An odd reading, an Easter reading. We hear it on Good Friday. This isn't Good Friday, just to remind you. Interesting. I don't remember when I met Mike. I know I was in public school because I was 11 or 12 years old. We didn't go to the same school. But Mike is one of those individuals who's good at maintaining friendships, and 60 years later we still exchange Christmas cards, and if Linda and I are in Regina, we'll probably phone Mike and Annette up and have coffee. He was in my wedding party when I got married. And I don't have many friends from my school days that I've stayed in touch with, but Mike and I have, off and on. But you see, Mike went to a different school. I went to John Lake's school in Saskatoon. John Lake was one of the founders of Saskatoon, a temperance man, a temperance colony. Mike went to a different school. On, Friday, on Saturday nights, Mike went to Mass. On Sunday morning... I went to church. I went to John Lake School. Mike went to Christ the King. Interesting. We used to laugh a bit. It's a bit sacrilegious, but we thought, that's going to be a tough name to put into a cheer for the basketball team. Now let your imagination run a little bit with that. The crest for Christ the King, Roman Catholic school in Saskatoon, and much other things was a cross with a crown on the top of it. Very interesting. And the list of scripture readings is called the common lectionary, which we use in this congregation and share along with countless Christians around the world. Today is the final Sunday of the church year, as I said earlier. Next Sunday is New Year's on the Christian calendar. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and we celebrate four Sundays of anticipation leading us to Christmas. And with the start of Advent, we begin a brand new liturgical, for a fancy word, a brand new preaching year. In 1925, in the face of a rising tide of nationalism in Europe, the Pope at that time established the last Sunday of the church year, liturgical year, as Christ the King or Reign of Christ Sunday. The Vatican at that time was concerned about these rising tides of fascism in Italy under Mussolini, the rising tide of the Nazis in Germany under Adolf Hitler, the flag-raving and trumpet-blowing and marching of troops, the persecution of those who were not of the right nationality. And so we have, since 1925, the Reign of Christ Sunday, which this is. Or, to play off my friend's school, Christ the King Sunday. It is a Sunday in preaching and worship in which Christians are to be reminded that though patriotism and nationalism and flag-waving are not bad and evil of themselves, that Christians, those of us who name the name of Jesus, serve a God, revealed in Jesus who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is greater than any president, no matter where they live, no matter how loud and noisy they are, or ex-president. Sorry, any of you Americans, forgive me. I'm meddling. That's where you move from preaching to meddling, isn't it? I'm meddling. Um, Greater than any prime minister, greater than any royal family. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and that is what we are reminded of. God is greater than any single monarch or any single nation, and he is more worthy of our allegiance and faithful service than any national leader, as much as we are to respect them and pray for them and appreciate them whether we agree with them or not. I'm a proud and patriotic Canadian. When I was going to seminary in Kansas City, I had t-shirts that said, Canadian, I'm proud of it. When we lived in Britain, I was known to wear the maple leaf. You know who I'm gonna be cheering for in the World Cup, don't you? The rest of you are entitled to be wrong. No, that's not true. (laughs) No, you cheer for whoever you like. Canada, England, (laughs) ever. God's forgiveness is great. But I am a proud and patriotic Canadian. But I also know that there is one greater and one kingdom greater than this land in which I live. That's what this Sunday is all about. It's a reminder. We're reminded of the ultimate supremacy of God. In a world where there are so many people and so many doctrines and so many beliefs wanting to be supreme, we are reminded of the God who came in the person of a baby named Jesus, who taught and lived and died and rose again, who was, as John tells us, God in the flesh. God enfleshed, God tabernacled amongst us. I love that picture. In Greek, just to be really impressive, it means he pitched his tent amongst us. That's kind of cool. This morning's gospel, as I said, is usually read as part of the Passion or Easter story, particularly the events of Good or God's Friday. We have before us a conversation uttered in gasps and groans. I didn't do it justice when I read it. I doubt that hanging on the cross, they spoke quite as plainly and without gasping and groaning as I did. Three men, two thieves and the Son of God, hanging on crosses on a Friday outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Dying one of the cruelest deaths known to man, a method of execution That the Romans mastered. And in this brief historic execution and final conversation, surprise, surprise, I have three things to share. Won't preachers always have three points? Yeah, that's the way I was taught. I have three things I want to leave with you. As I reflected on this over the weeks previous, I was reminded of a king's place and a king's prayer and a king's promise on this reign of Christ Sunday. Let's consider that. In our Western democratic political system, many people have a little understanding and even less appreciation for kings and royalty and monarchs and palaces and all of that that goes with it. And though I'm not probably a monarchist dyed in the wool, I do enjoy the pomp and circumstance and show and, 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 and all the stuff that goes with the royal family and royalty. How could we not be impressed with the funeral of late Queen Elizabeth and all that went with that. Often, we in North America particularly, have what I consider and would offer to you is a rather unhelpful, even a worshipful attitude towards our democracies, and I love democracy, trust me on this. Often we almost worship our personal freedoms and democratic politics, my right, my privilege, my freedom at the expense of others. We are invited and encouraged in many ways to be our own personal kings and queens. Don't get me wrong again, I treasure my freedom, and I'm thankful that I live in the democracy of Canada, not a dictatorship. Reprimacy must be given to the worship of the ruler of the universe, the king of kings, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we ever forget that, we're toast. So a King's Place, Luke 22 and 33, when they came to the place that is called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Let me point out to you the stark contrast between where we find this world's kings and queens and where we find Jesus in this passage. It's fascinating. Buckingham Palace in London, perhaps the best-known residence of a British monarch, was built in 1703 and stands on 39 acres of prime land in the very heart of London. My wife went for tea there one time at the Canadian tea party, so she had tea. I don't know, I don't think she was at the same table as our late monarch, but she saw her, sort of. I've stood outside the gates and peered through and seen those lovely guards in their big bearskin caps. Buckingham Palace has 775 rooms, 92 offices, 78 bathrooms. 19 staterooms, 760 windows, and 1,514 doors. In this passage this morning, we find Jesus on a barren hillside outside the outskirts of the ancient city of Jerusalem, hanging on a cross, naked. Windsor Castle, built by William the Conqueror around 1070, was the late Queen Elizabeth's favorite home. It stands on 13 acres of prime Berkshire real estate not far from London and has approximately 1,000 rooms and 300 fireplaces. That's a lot of ashes to carry out. In the royal palaces, including Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle and the Balmoral Estate in Scotland, there are full-time employed 491 Servants and staff. In Luke, we find Jesus, the son of the King of Kings, hanging naked on a cross between two thieves or brigands or traitors. Now, just to bring this a little more up to date, the current president of Russia, Mr. Putin, is reputed to have a personal home in Russia valued at $1 billion plus. It covers 17,691 square meters of living space. That's bigger than my condo, by some. Jesus said of himself in Matthew 8 and 20, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The contrasts are so stark. Jesus identified himself as a servant and washed and dried the disciples' feet as an example to those who would follow and serve him. He waited on others rather than being waited upon. And the point is that God's understanding and kingship and rulers and ruling is diametrically opposed to that of our world's understanding of kings and queens and rulers and where they should be and how they should live. And Reign of Christ Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, This Sunday is a reminder that the kingdom of God and the rule of Christ are very, very different. Perhaps the very opposite of what the rulers and kings of the world would suggest. In the Bible study I lead on Thursday evenings on the Gospel of John, we recently studied and reflected on these words of Jesus. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. The King of Kings is worthy of worship. But God incarnate in human flesh, Jesus the Messiah washed dirty feet, served those who served him and had no palace or castle or instead died on a windy hillside, almost alone, was buried in a borrowed tomb which could not hold him, thanks be to God. Hanging between heaven and earth, and between two thieves. Christ the king lived a very different, and in our eyes, and the eyes of the world, perhaps a very unkingly life. And so the question is very simply this, is that the kind of life that we're willing to live? And what does it mean in 2022? A different king of a different kingdom. A king's place. The final words of kings and queens, of presidents and prime ministers, and even of premiers and mayors are often recorded. You can buy books filled with their dying or parting words. I used to have one. It's amazing what some people say as they're approaching eternity. Here are a few of the memorable words. Julius Caesar, Julie to those who were his friends, Julius Caesar, said, et tu, Brute? you too, Brutus, as as Brutus plunged the knife into him and as the assassin's knives fell. Queen Victoria, I don't think it was her final words, but said, we are not amused. What a great phrase. (laughs) How many parents have said that to their kids? (laughs) We are not amused. U.S. President John Kennedy is remembered for saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Marvelous sentiment. Winston Churchill, Winnie, said seldom have so many owed so much to so few, and a former prime minister of Canada who shall go unnamed is remembered for saying fuddle-duddle in the House of Commons. A former premier of Alberta, again, who shall go unnamed is remembered for saying, this will be the best summer ever, and I am meddling this morning, aren't I? (laughs) And the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, now I'm back in my turf, said, off with their hands. <laughs> a word muttered by an earthly monarch named Henry VIII, who said to no one in particular, but a few knights overheard him, well, no one rid me of this pesky priest, very likely caused some knights of the realm to murder the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, in front of the altar of Canterbury Cathedral. The words of earthly kings and rulers are powerful, and can cause fear or happiness, honor or dishonor, death or life. Words are recorded and studied and repeated to the credit or discredit of the speaker. Words live on after famous speakers are in the grave and need largely forgotten. How different the words of many rulers then and now are from what we hear from the lips of the Son of, the Go- Son of God as he hung on the cross. Listen to the words of Jesus in our passage this morning. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He replied to the thief, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. How very different are the last words of the Son of God, the King of kings, The kingly prayer of Jesus in his words of hopeful assurance to a dying thief. Who never prayed the prayer. Who never even acknowledged Jesus really other than saying, remember me when you come into my kingdom. Where today you will be with me in paradise. A different king. In a different kingdom. And then a the king's promise. The histories and biographies and records of the lives of monarchs, rulers and leaders of the nations of the world are filled with instances of broken promises. I hate to tell you that. But you just can't trust everybody. Words given but then recanted of because of selfishness or political expediency. The so-called greater good or simply because the individual making the promise had a change of heart or mind. Times and circumstances to change, and a person's word is sometimes not his or her bond, lives have been destroyed, reputations ruined, nations pulled into unjust wars and conflicts, innocent people have been arrested, convicted, and executed for crimes they did not commit, and state secrets have been betrayed by a lie, by an untruth. One of my favorite slash least favorite phrases that I hear in the media nowadays is for one leader to say that they misspoke. <laughs> Isn't that great? I didn't lie, I misspoke. Well, sometimes people do misspoke. Sometimes we don't say what we mean, but many times, many times that's not the case. I cannot claim to know the facts and reasons and necessities and political expediencies of breaking one's word. But everyone must deal with their own conscience. I do know this, though God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, does not lie, He cannot lie, it's outside His nature or her nature, depending on your theology. God does not lie. Jesus does not lie, for Jesus said he is the truth. He not only spoke the truth, he was the truth incarnate. I am the way and the truth and the life, it says in John 14. Jesus was and is the truth of God. He can be trusted totally in life and in death. Here is promise to the dying but repentant thief. If the thief truly repented, we don't know what went on in his mind. We assume he did. That's a whole other theological question, isn't it? No. Don't want to go there. But here, the words of Jesus to him. The thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Jesus replied, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. What that means and looks like, I do not know. But it's true. I believe that. These words from the parched and dying lips, the swollen tongue of Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I can't remember if it was Mark Twain or someone else who said that there's nothing like dying to sort of fine-tune your honesty. That's probably true. If you know you have nothing else to say, you better speak the truth. Jesus does not speak the words of many an earthly ruler. Let your imagination run a little bit. And from the cross, can you hear Jesus saying, do you know who I am? That's not what he says. Day you will be with me in paradise. And I think the thief in some way did know exactly who Jesus am, who Jesus was and is. Earthly rulers and kings and monarchs may dismiss those who come to them, the flick of the hand, or we are not amused. But the king of kings never turns anyone away who comes to him in honesty, in truth. Jesus said truthfully, come to me and I will give you peace. Different king, different kind of kingdom. The story is told of the second performance of George Frederick Handel's oratorio called The Messiah in London. It was first performed in Dublin, then it was taken to London. And at that second performance, it is said that King George was there in the royal box. If you know the Messiah, you know where I'm going. At the climactic singing of what today we call the Hallelujah Chorus, and at the words King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he shall reign forever and ever and ever, the story goes that the king and the royal walk stood to attention and bowed his head. And part of royal protocol is when the king stands, everybody stands, and so the whole massed audience stood in silence. And the words of the chorus, King of kings, Lord of lords, he shall reign forever and ever, echoed through the walls and around the walls of that concert hall. The king of England rose in respect and bowed his head in humility to the King of kings and Lord of lords. In spirit and in our hearts and with our lives, will we show the same respect and loyalty? By the way we live and act in our actions and attitudes, in our honesty, in our loving, in our caring, in so many ways with our family and our children and our grandchildren and our friends, and those we work with, and those we study with? Will we show that we serve the King of Kings? We can and need to be loyal earthly citizens, supporting those in authority. We are commanded in Scripture to pray for those in authority over us, whether we agree with them or not. But there is one alone who merits our total trust and loyalty, indeed our worship and adoration, our very lives, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you to consider whom you will serve and carefully consider this quotation from the Old Testament book of Joshua in the 24th chapter. Now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, that they served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. A different king and a different kingdom but he will reign forever and ever. We must choose, you must choose, I must choose whom we will serve. A poet who was part of my experience in the 60s who could not sing for sour grapes, but who did write wonderful lyrics, you may have heard of Bob Dylan, in his Christian phase, because he had many phases, Wrote a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. You gotta serve the devil, you're gonna serve the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. Classic lyrics. <laughs> I think I said, terrible voice, good poet. A different king in a different kind of kingdom. You choose. Let's pray. Father God, there are so many voices So many things that would woo us away from you and beg for and command our service, even our worship. Different things for different people, different kings and different kingdoms. But let us choose wisely a different king of a different kind of kingdom to worship, to serve, and to follow. Amen.